Myanmar have been protesting across the country ever since the military seized control in a coup d'etat on February 1st after refusing to accept the results of a national election in which Aung San Suu Kyi, civilian leader of the National League for Democracy, won 83% of the seats in parliament. Under the direction of military commander Men Aung Lain, the military declared a state of emergency and security forces made up of police, soldiers, and elite counterinsurgency troops have since responded brutally to peaceful anti-coup demonstrations and general strikes, killing more than 850 people, including children. The military has imposed curfews, put limits on gatherings, and restricted access to the internet. Aung San Suu Kyi and other members of the National League for Democracy have been detained and face charges in a secret court. Amid the anti-coup protest, Myanmar is presently facing a third wave of COVID-19 infections. We hear a lot about this story on the news, but in this episode, we want to listen to members of Colombia's Burmese community. We are excited to announce the first episode of Conversations from the Leading Edge featuring student voices. In today's episode, we will hear from two student members of the Columbia University Myanmar Association who will share their insights on what is happening on the ground in Myanmar. This episode was recorded in May 2021. The host and producer of this episode acknowledges that the political situation in Myanmar has been rapidly changing so there may have been some updates since the time of this recording. Hello and welcome. My name is Obiene, and I am the Communications Coordinator at AC4, as well as a current graduate student at Teachers College, Columbia University, and I am your host for this episode. Today, I am joined by two graduate students of Teachers College, Columbia University, who are leading members of the Myanmar Association at Columbia University. Tutumeu is currently pursuing a master's in nutrition education and dietetics, and Arena Wasaki is currently a doctoral candidate in the Comparative and International Education program. Arena and Tutu were both moderators for a recent discussion titled, What's Happening in Myanmar? 
Paving the Way for Federal Democracy in Human Rights, hosted by the Myanmar Association at Columbia University. This event brought together a panel of community leaders in the fields of education, health, and humanitarianism. We are so excited to have them here to discuss their perspectives on the current events in Myanmar and their roles in the Myanmar Association at Columbia University. As we begin this conversation, we also just want to note that the views that Irina and Tutu share are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the entire Myanmar Association at Columbia University. Welcome, Irina and Tutu. It's great to have you. Thank you so much, Obi, for having us today and for your kind introduction. Um, we really appreciate that conversations from the leading edge is taking the time to discuss what's happening in Myanmar. And as you mentioned in the introduction, uh, so my name is Irina Iwasaki. I'm a doctoral candidate at TC. And uh, I have been on the executive board of the Myanmar Association since uh, 2019. The association was actually created by two dear friends who were students at Columbia. And it went on a hiatus when they left and we revived it in 2019. So to me, Myanmar is home. It's uh, where I grew up most of my life and uh, it has a very special place in my heart. And thank you uh, again, Obi, for having us today as well. Um, I'm very excited to be here today. Um, my name is Tutu and I was born and raised in Myanmar. So Myanmar is my home country. Um, my country, my family is still back there. Um, I came to the US um, after high school for my father's studies. Um, I'm currently joining from Seattle and I've been involved with Burmese communities here to organize events such as protests, fundraising events to support and help amplify what's happening in my home country. Once again, thank you both for joining me today. I would like to start off, if you could both please describe the purpose of the panel event you both recently moderated. And how did you come in contact with the panelists? Um, what were some of the key takeaways? Sure. Um, so on Sunday, April 18th, the Myanmar Association at Columbia hosted an online panel discussion called What's Happening in Myanmar? Paving the Way for De Federal Democracy and Human Rights, which brought together a panel of community leaders in the fields of education, health and humanitarianism. So the intention behind the panel was to engage with community leaders on the topic of federal democracy and human rights in Myanmar. Because the term federal democracy is currently often used these days, especially in the light of the recent events such as the Spring Revolution, which in Burmese uh, we say and the announcement of the Federal Democracy Charter by the CRPH, which is the committee representing the which is the legitimately uh, elected parliament. And also fairly recently, there was also the formation of the National Unity Government, which is supposed to be the actual government uh, elected by the people for the people. But, you know, this is a fairly, it's a term that kind of emerged throughout the recent events. And we felt that this term could mean many and different things to different people. <laughs> so we wanted to create a space where ethnic voices and perspectives from the ground, be it through journalism, education, health and social activism, would be heard so we could bring more understanding about what federalism truly means, especially for those who are uh, more in the margin, so to speak. And so to come back to the process of selecting panelists, it was a very collective process. Uh, Tutu and I mainly organized this panel, but we also reached out to our previous 
Myanmar Association at Columbia president, um, MAC, as <laughs> we call it MAC in, in short. She's also a graduate from the same program as us. Her name is Jasmine Williams for some help, and she also ended up becoming a panelist. Uh, we compiled together a list of potential speakers, particularly looking through those who were more vocal on Twitter. These days, a lot of commentaries and advocacy on the coup uh, have migrated from Facebook to Twitter, although Twitter is kind of banned right now again uh, by the junta. So we looked at Twitter and to identify uh, who uh, we would benefit uh, hearing more from. And I also reached out to other former MAC uh, members and presidents for referrals, particularly in the field of public health, uh, because we wanted to represent different fields. And we were also referred to other speakers by those who could not or refused to be on a panel for safety purposes. So other than that, we then started emailing them, cold emailing some of the speakers, and we ended up having a great representation with Chosa Hanain, uh, a Rakhine journalist who has been covering the Rohingya crisis and genocide uh, for quite a while. Yasmin Ula, a young Rohingya social act uh, justice activist who had to flee Myanmar in 95, a Karen health leader working at the border of Thailand, and Dr. Piu Piu at the University of Hong Kong uh, who shed light on the dire medical condition in Myanmar. So the main takeaways, if I could summarize, of this panel were that, first of all, on the grounds, federalism or more decentral uh, or decentralization has existed for decades in Myanmar, especially through ethnic organizations and communities. Second, uh, for any type of federal Myanmar uh, to, to emerge, uh, first of all, violence must stop, particularly towards journalists, medics, and teachers. And we also have to recognize and partner with these ethnic organization and community leaders. Finally, the last takeaway was that for international communities, how could they be involved? And it was recommended that international communities could help by understanding their own government's relationship with Myanmar and particularly hold accountable their own governments on how they could currently support the situation and also continue supporting those who are actively working on the grounds. Thank you, Rina, for sharing. Um, one one thing you mentioned in your comment is the this the subject of, of violence and how it must stop towards journalists. And we see commonly in, in, in the international media images of uh, of the violence on protesters. And I, I'm wondering, I mean, this leads into my next question, how are Burmese diasporic communities coping right now? And in what ways have, have you both found support from the Myanmar Association at Columbia? Yeah, um, so I, I'm again, I'm currently joining from Seattle and due to COVID, I've been attending Columbia remotely. So I, I haven't had the chance to meet with everybody at the Myanmar Association at Columbia and even Arena in person yet. But even before the coup, so the MAC, the Myanmar Association at Columbia has been serving as a platform to bring diverse people to have multidisciplinary dialogue awareness and actions on issues related to Myanmar and produce uh, innovative tactics for the future of our country. So I reached out to the association after the coup because I was feeling overwhelmed and I feel like uh, it's better to have like a collective communities to talk, um, to have a discussion. So, and Meg 
provided the space for us to come together and hold a safe space for our Burmese community here in Colombia to express our feelings and grief collectively. And um, I'm also a member of uh, Burmese Myanmar Student Association at my alma mater, University of Washington in Seattle. And my friends and I have also been actively collaborating with the Burmese diasporic uh, communities here to organize protests this February. And we have also done like, uh, candlelight vigils to honor the fallen heroes and fundraising events to support the people who are participating in a civil disobedience movement, CDM in the spring revolution in Myanmar. And as you know, um, ever since February, we've all been waking up to um, different atrocities and tragedies that military hunger is doing to the people. And I've been constantly again overwhelmed reading the news every single day and anxious about the safety of my friends and family. Um, until now, and in this time of crisis, when I feel anxious, overwhelmed, frustrated and helpless. I'm really glad to have this content and safe space and support from my friends and Burmese communities here. And like just having a conversation over foods or spending time cooking together and sharing our thoughts and feelings have been a very healing process for me. And when I feel discouraged at times, I look at my friends here and the people on, on the ground who are protesting every single day and they give me hope and energy to move on. Thank you so much to do for sharing your story. And I'm glad to hear that you've been able to find support, not just from the Columbia community, but also from your network in Seattle. I, I, I would like to know, just reflecting on the words democracy and freedom, what are some thoughts that come to mind? in the context of Myanmar? Yeah, um, so just from my own observation and experience uh, looking at the spring revolution and many creative ways people are protesting, especially Gen Z and young people who are trying to express our opposition against the military hunger and miss this violent actions against the unarmed civilians. Uh, the movement itself, I think, symbolizes the democracy for me. And not only that, like during this revolution, I've seen so much growth in humility and in building culture and society that truly represents Myanmar. I've also seen that transformative culture shift during the protest itself. So this movement, that our movement, uh, has been going on for more than 100 days now, and it has been the largest pro-democracy movement so far. And we've lost more than 800 people, while more than 5,000 people have been unlawfully detained. And we've lost our basic human rights to have democratically elected government and freedom of expressions and to educations and health rights. And it is all because we are certain that we do not want to go back to the era living in a constant fear and the military dictatorship. So I think uh, right now we have nothing more to lose but to march forward with the beats of pots and pens and the collective echoes of our vices to achieve the federal democracy and basic human rights. If I may add, democracy and freedom resonate for me with the people's courage, resilience, conviction, and consciousness. I think it's, um, as Tutu said, it's this deep desire for Myanmar society, well, to for everyone there to want a society where you can live and be alive. 
not just to live but to feel alive and uh, for everyone to flourish just as they wish to be. So really this fight for a society where everyone can thrive, not be afraid to be jailed or punished for what people say or want to be. So these are a little bit the thoughts that I have when you know, you mentioned words of democracy and freedom. Thank you for your responses. just listened to a clip from Gaba Mechibu, which in English translates to Until the End of the World, a song composed by Nain Myanmar that has been emblematic of the 1988 pro-democracy protests which began as a student movement in Yangon. The song is set to the tune of the 1977 hit single Dust in the Wind by Kansas, an American rock band. Um, my next question is, why is Kabar Machebu emblematic of the 1988 protests? And what meaning does it have in the current political climate? So Kabar Machebu is a song that was written in the protest of 1988. And it is, it is a song that was written to honor the fallen heroes. So those who have protested and were killed in the protests in the streets. And it also describes the struggle for democracy back then as well. 1988 is also the year Aung San Suu Kyi returned back to Myanmar and remained there after seeing the violence uh, done to the democratic protest movements. And this song was revived at the very beginning of the Spring Revolution in February 2021 because the coup and the rising violence against protesters and unarmed civilians sort of resonated with the tragedy of 1988. It sort of was kind of a a flashback to 1988. However, the lyrics in Gabamachebu sort of no longer apply to the current situation of Myanmar, particularly because they're referencing generals who fought for the country's independence against British and Japanese occupations, uh, which also includes General Aung San, uh, who is Aung San Suu Kyi's father. So yes, for a while, this song became very emblematic in the first few weeks of the Spring Revolution. But uh, in, as the Spring Revolution sort of evolved and continued, younger artists and generations have created their own anthems, such as Doye or Nueu Tolanye Revolution Song, that mostly focuses on dismantling authoritarianism and dictatorship, and also encouraging people to participate in the civil disobedience movement. So these are more the cries and refusals to return to a time of fear, violence, and dictatorship. Thank you, Irina, for sharing your perspective. And, you know, with all that's been going on in Myanmar right now with the current global health situation, it's it's important that we think about the the uh, the impact of COVID-19. So uh, I would like to know how has the ongoing protest and political unrest impacted Myanmar's response to COVID-19? And if so, would you be able to share some examples? 
Thank you, Obi. Um, yes, definitely, that's an important point that we do have to mention. Actually, one of the panelists of our panel, Dr. Pew Pew, phrased it really well, and I'm going to borrow her analysis here. She's, she said in on our panel that Myanmar has been facing sort of a triple crisis. First, there was COVID, you know, COVID-19 that impacted the whole world, which had a devastating impact on the economic life of Myanmar, especially as businesses and schools had to close due to the rise in infection. And on top of COVID-19 health risks, many workers lost their jobs uh, due to several lockdowns that were happening prior to the coup. And as the country was facing this COVID-19 crisis, you know, the, the country then experienced a coup, this coup that's been going on for more than 100 days, as Tutu said, that disrupted even more the daily lives of people, leaving everyone quite unsure of their future. So in response to this coup, during this coup d'etat, medical workers were were the first to initiate the CDM, the civil disobedience movement. Um, they were the ones to really take the leadership in terms of protests and, uh, and refusing the fact that this the military regime took uh, power. But in response, the military, what the military did is to brutally crack down on the medics and uh, doctors, uh, leaving the country in an even more dire situation. Soldiers have occupied hospitals, emergency responders, doctors are constantly targeted, uh, issued arrest warrants. And they're also ethical and moral consideration because some doctors want to keep treating their patients, but it also puts their patient at risk if they come to see them. So the medical system has, uh, we can say that it has collapsed in Myanmar, uh, leading to the first sort shortage of medical manpower. So according to Dr. Pew Pew, she was saying that Myanmar in normal times, if you will, uh, only has six doctors for a thousand people on average versus the global standards of 16 doctors per thousand people. So it goes without saying that the crackdown on the medical staff, staff must really stop for citizens to have access to health and, uh, and proper care. Thank you, Irina, for this very well articulate um, um, reflections. Um, I just wanted to share my experience and the recent event that happened to my family. So um, in February, a few days after the military coup took place, my father felt ill and had COVID like symptoms and was having difficulty breathing again. Um, and so, um, and he needed oxygen's um, oxygen um, support to help with breathing, but unfortunately due to the shortage of the COVID test kits and political unrest, many clinics were not accepting new patients. And at the same time, there was a riot happening right in front of our house where the police and the military were cracking down on the students' protests and attacking people um, and, and all the streets were blocked. So we were not able to get um, get to the clinic or help um, get the help and support that he needed. But uh, fortunately, after a few days, my my father was able to receive the care that he needed. But however, to this day, I can help but constantly be thinking about it and wondering the worst case scenario that could have happened to him. And also how many people, how many families must be going through this 
difficult time that we've experienced. And also for me, as a as a person who's working in the nutrition and public health field, I'm also deeply concerned about the severe, severe food insecurity and the extreme poverty, as well as the cash shortage and the inflation that are happening due to the closing of several banks right now in Myanmar. And according to the UN Development Programme, this combined effect of two crises, the COVID-19 and the military coup would result in 25 million people, uh, which is half of the Myanmar's populations living below the national poverty line by early 2022. And then also the World Food Program also estimated that 6.2 million people could face hangover by October. So those are also a very uh, critical issues along with the healthcare disparities happening in Myanmar right now. Thank you for sharing this enlightening information. And my heart goes out to your your father and your family and all those within your town and community um, back at home in Myanmar. And uh, it it's a it's terrible plight to to be in. And just thinking about those those figures that you just shared are really shocking. Um, I, I just would like to know at this point in time, are there any ways listeners can support the Myanmar Association at Columbia? And how may the audience stay in touch with you in your work? We welcome anyone who would like to know more to uh, follow us on Facebook at Myanmar Association at Columbia. Um, and you can also reach out to us by emailing us at uh, Myanmar Association at Columbia.edu especially if you would like to get uh, more involved or just even have more information on the current situation there in Myanmar. And um, we also would like to encourage you to support in many ways you can. Like if you're financially able to, please donate to Mutual Aid Myanmar and other charities to support the civil disobedience movement in Myanmar. And we've shared the resources with Obi, um, so they should be available in the description of our episode. Uh, we would also like to encourage you to keep amplifying the political situation in Myanmar, hold your government accountable by calling your representatives, signing petitions, and also using your platform to raise awareness. Thank you. And as Tutu mentioned, all of these resources will be made available to our listeners in the description of the podcast. Thank you so much, Arena and Tutu. It has been a pleasure hearing your insights today. Thank you so much, Obi, for having us today. Thank you again, Obi, for having us as well. Conversations from the Leading Edge is sponsored by AC4, the Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity at the Earth Institute at Columbia University. I am Obi Ane, the Communications Coordinator at AC4, as well as the host and producer of this episode. The opening music for this episode is from French musician Mon Plaisir. The audio clips of protesters are from Harry Tao. Additional music is from Nine Myanmar. Follow AC4 on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at AC4 Columbia to get constant updates on issues around sustainability, peace, and conflict. That's all for today's show. Until next time.